0: we begin with some major breaking news. The Toronto Blue Jays just before 6 o'clock today, the news started to filter in. They have reportedly traded star pitcher Marcus Stroman to the New York Mets. Now, this news developing at this moment. We don't know who the return is in the deal as of yet, but it looks like Marcus Stroman is heading to the Mets. After six seasons with the team that drafted him, Marcus Stroman left Rogers Center in his Jeep for the final time as a member of the Blue Jays. It was quite the weekend for the Blue Jays after coming back from seven runs down on Saturday. They also blew a seven-run lead on Sunday. First time in Major League history that's ever happened where you come back from seven down and then give up a seven-run lead. They traded Eric Sogar. They reassigned field coordinator Shelly Duncan to a front office position. Bo Bichette has joined the big league club. And, oh, yeah, they traded Marcus Stroman. Stroman
1: is on the move. He's going to New York and not to the Yankees like a lot of people thought he would. The Mets have acquired the Stroh Show, and in return, the Jays are getting the Mets' top two pitching prospects and left-hander Anthony Kay and 18-year-old right-hander
2: Simeon Woods-Richardson. Jays also reportedly sending $1.5 million to the Mets. How many times today has someone asked you what you think of the return? <laughs> well, more than a few. I've answered it a few times on air and many times off air. I mean, are you into triple digits? Uh, no, Between definitely. on and off? Come on. Not triple digits. I'm, I'm over like two dozen, yeah. I want to say. I believe it. So what do you think? <laughs> I don't know what I think anymore. Marcus Stroman's a, uh, a New York Met. That's something I didn't think I would be saying. Ben Nicholson-Smith, I'm Arden Swelling. At the letters, of course, brought to you by the All-New 2019 Ford Ranger. I didn't think I'd be saying Marcus Stroman's going to be a New York Met. No. Maybe the first part, maybe New York Yankee, but not New York Mets. Do you think that's why he was so pissed off? Like, do you think the one they told him, they're like, Marcus, you're going to New York Mets. He starts celebrating, and then, I mean, that was
1: uh, a popular line of thinking after the news of the trade broke, and of course, there was a commotion inside the Blue Jays clubhouse. We were not allowed into the Blue Jays clubhouse, so
2: lots of drama as the trade. Broke Let's talk about Sunday. that. You yeah. were there, like I wasn't there on Sunday, and you were there. So it's after the game, right? And you find out after. after so it game. was a long game, <laughs> uh, four hour game, and essentially we're
1: talking to Aaron Sanchez and Eric Sogard afterwards. Sogard obviously traded as well to the Tampa Bay Rays.
2: And before we get to that, first pitch to Teoscar Hernandez is swung on and missed for strike one. Coined Jeff Passan of ESPN. Eric Sogard is just walking around the tunnel. He's been traded to the Tampa Bay Rays. Wow. There you go. How about that? Yeah. They love those Swiss Army knife kind of players. So after the game, you come down from the press box, go down to the clubhouse, but you weren't allowed in the clubhouse. So that's got to like get, you know, you thinking something weird's going on. No doubt. And I
1: thought it had to do with the Sogard trade because if they put Sogard in a neutral setting, mm. he's accessible to absolutely everyone. Right. Rays, of course, the team to which he was traded, are playing on the opposite side of the field. So the Rays were there. The Blue Jays were there. Everyone wants to talk to Eric Sogard. So Sogard's in the interview room. Aaron Sanchez is in the interview room. And then around the time that this is happening, around 5.30 or 6 p.m., you also start to hear
2: a lot of noise coming from the Blue Jays club. But isn't it strange that Aaron Sanchez is in the interview room? 100%. to back you up. Like, Aren't you already going, like, this is weird. Why is this happening? 100%.
1: Yeah. But also, there was so much going on. And then as this is happening... Jeff Blair taps me on the shoulder, and he says, John Morosi is reporting that Strowman's going to the Mets. Right. I'm like, what? This yeah. is kind of weird. So at that point, we try to get into the clubhouse, can't get in, not allowed in, which is exceptionally rare. Yeah. And honestly, like that's definitely in violation of the rules set out by totally. teams and the Baseball Writers Association of America. So yeah. that's a whole other side story. But um, we weren't allowed in, and there is this noise coming from there. So and this is after Sanchez has talked in the press room. Yeah, if I'm remembering right, yeah. it would have been right around the time that Sanchez is leaving, Sogard's coming in. some Sometime around there, 5.30 right. or 6 you're a. trying to go into the clubhouse yeah. and like describe the noise that you're hearing. I wasn't super close to it, right? Yeah. So I'm hearing a little bit of noise and other people had more, a better earshot um, <laughs> yeah. as far as what was happening. Yeah, but door. Right. Yeah.
2: There's a bit of a commotion happening and it's a uh, people who haven't seen it, like the Blue Jays Clubhouse, there's a big steel door. Oh, like, yeah. it's a big sliding thing. So it would have to be quite a commotion to bleed through that wall. Yeah. And it's happened before. I think one time last year, Kendrys. you remember this?
1: Kendrys Morales was uh, really, really pissed off in there and you could hear it from outside. Yeah. What
2: was that about? I totally remember that. Yeah. He was picked off first. Or That's was, what it was. Yeah, 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 Yes.
1: He was picked off first when he shouldn't have been. Right. So You will occasionally hear noises coming out of the clubhouse there. And after the fact, Stroman acknowledged this was him. He was in there and the way he put it. And so this is him today on Monday. Yes. And he said, the commotion was a discussion that I had with some of our coaches, some of the higher ups in our org. I was just voicing my opinion about how a couple things were handled about the
2: process. It had nothing to do with the Mets at all. Like I said, it happened kind of quick. It's not enough information, man. It's not enough. Do you think he means like the process throughout the last month or so? Or does he mean the process of them specifically telling him in that moment? If I had to guess, it would be the last month or so. Yeah. Yeah. So this has been pent up for a while. That's my sense. And he was just like, this is my last chance to let you know to your face like how I feel about how this has all gone down. Yeah. And he said later it was a a moment of frustration. It
1: happened in an instant and was gone in an instant. So he's saying that, He has no hard feelings right now for the Blue Jays and their front office and their coaching staff and That's what we have to go on. This is bizarre. Very (laughs) bizarre, right? Like, so, so bizarre. This is so weird. I wish I was there.
2: Man, it was like, yeah, it was one of the weirder days that I've honestly had covering the Blue Jays. And later on in the podcast, we're going to have Jim Callis of MLB.com who's going to tell us a bit more about Anthony Kay and also about um, Simeon Woods Richardson, whose name I'm going to get right (laughs) one of these days. He's got too many names. As a fellow hyphenated name haver, can you guys just quit rubbing it in our face with all the names? Well, I can't hate on anyone with a hyphenated <laughs> name. Nor would I want to. It's, I like the name. Fewer names. How are they going to stretch that all onto the Cy Young Trophy in 2025? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like too much. Get there first. So you guys never even get into the clubhouse at all. No. And so Strowman at some point comes out. Yeah. Storm's Bass. Oh, yeah. Looks... Just determined to get the hell out of there. Yeah, he's moving quickly. Just walks straight through and uh, heads down to the player parking lot, gets into his, I think it's a Hummer, and drives away. Wow. Because usually in a situation like this, you would get to go into the clubhouse, kind of get a sense of the vibe and the scene and the mood and what's going on. Or ask them, hey, Marcus Stroman was traded. What do you think about this? Yeah. Yeah very bizarre. I think aaron sanchez knew what was going on when he spoke to you guys
1: i have no idea oh, i will man. say that sanchez was very accommodating and seemed to be in good spirits and happy he just had a really he good start be. really really yeah. good start struck out 10 yeah struck out 10 he, and you know we can get more into this later but sanchez looked really good get.
0: crowd
2: getting into it early in this nothing nothing game looking for aaron sanchez six straight strikeout. two two pitch swing and a miss he got him with a curveball and he screams, let's go, as he walks off the mound into the Blue Jays' dugout. Aaron Sanchez has struck out the first six batters of this ball game. We go to the bottom
1: of the second. You come into a game, you strike out the first six hitters you face. Whether or not you believe that Sanchez is a starting pitcher, yeah. you have to be intrigued by what he could do in a short stint. Because the Rays are not a bad team, and he struck out 10 of them including six in a row. So you're saying that one outing was enough to re-peak some trade interest, do you think? Yes. I mean, Ross Atkins said as much on a conference call uh, that we were on not long ago, um, saying that every team in baseball would want Aaron Sanchez. I don't think that's an exaggeration. I mean, the extent to which they want him, what they would give up, I can't say. But it certainly seems like Aaron Sanchez is drawing interest. And I think, like, in today's game, it doesn't take much for a player to change their trade value? Because teams aren't looking you know, at ERA, the fact that he allowed foreign runs. They're looking right. at stuff.
2: What is he doing right now? And his stuff looks good right now. But don't they have a bulk of like 18 to 20 starts from earlier this season where the stuff didn't look like peak Aaron Sanchez stuff at all? So wouldn't a team just say, well, okay, like I'm going to need you to see you repeat this. You don't have an opportunity to do that before the deadline. I think that they would try to buy low on him, yeah. for sure. And
1: you're not going to see the full price that the blue jays might want but man you see the four starts that he's had since the all-star break in the first one two walks second one one walk then zero and zero he's not walking anyone right. and i know even still he leads the american league in walks so it's not it's not like he's got pinpoint command he probably never will but he's trending in the
2: right direction and that's got to be intriguing if I'm the Blue Jays, like I am just assuming that the offers that they're going to get from probably aren't going to be premium offers and aren't going to be great. I'm probably hanging on to them unless you see something that you're like, oh no, we got to jump on this. Particularly after the Strowman return, and we'll get into this, seemed a little light. Yeah, I don't think that I'm selling Aaron Sanchez for pennies on the dollar here. Yeah, and that's fair. But I,
1: I think that let's say three weeks ago, I would have said like 5% chance or something
2: like pretty remote. And now I I could see it being 50, 50. So the Stroman return, I was expecting probably a top 100 guy to be involved in that. And I'd like, even what is a top 100 guy, right? When you talk about there's different, you know, scouting services and teams have their own opinions and their own rankings. And obviously the blue Jays targeted these players that they got back and really wanted them. But I think just, you look at the return on face value, it's light. Yeah, I think that's fair to say, right? Because Anthony Kay, the
1: prospect who's closer to the major leagues, uh, is regarded as maybe a guy who projects into the middle of a rotation. You don't find anyone who says, this guy's going to front a rotation. No. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the more certain of the two. And then in Woods Richardson, you have someone who has a lot of upside. He's very, very young. He's still just 18, even though he was drafted last year. And he's already producing. So you love the upside. But he's 18. He's not going to pitch in the majors next year. Probably won't pitch in the majors in 2021 either. So you're looking at a project there. And the Blue Jays obviously believed him enough to make a very big bet on him. But there's uncertainty
2: there. Elvis Luciano pitched in the majors at 19. (laughs) Yeah, there's some mitigating circumstances around that one. (laughs) Yeah, no, he's going to be in a race with like Eric Pardino for like who can be the 2000 born guy to get here and be a starting pitcher for the Blue Jays. Uh, He's what you'd call, you know, a helium guy and that he's risen the ranks, you know, quite a bit. And he's come on, I think he's got a lot of the like. Tools that you know uh, evaluators and and people in front offices are looking for when you look at you know velocity and you know potential and upside and and spin rate and things like that. I mean the test with him now is the Blue Jays have to build him up and develop him and help him get the most out of it. Like he is you know he's a prospect, but he's also a project. Yeah, and I think if you were to say that anthony k
1: is the centerpiece of this trade that would be a little disappointing right, right. so but he sort of is because he's in a sense right in a sense he's the more certain guy but if you were to say that this guy who projects is probably a mid-rotation starter is what you get back for marcus stroman who at his best might be considered a number two or number three like marcus stroman could yeah. legitimately start playoff games yeah um so i think you could say stroman's a two or three right now he's got a year and a half of control Um, there's a lot to like about Marcus Stroman. His trade value was really high for a lot of reasons. And so you don't want to just get someone back who doesn't have much upside. And that's where Woods Richardson is a key piece here because he's the upside piece. Not to put a cap on K. You never know what's going to happen there. But really, Woods Richardson is the guy who probably has the chance to make this trade look really good for the Blue Jays. And if he doesn't pan out at all, then this trade's probably going to look pretty bad.
2: And K, to his credit, double A, fantastic numbers, yep. you know, and then gets to triple A where the ball is different and there's an adjustment period there, right? And I think he's actually talked about it a little bit about because they're using the big league ball in triple A this year and you can see the offensive numbers and the result that that's had It's yep. not only that the ball seems to travel better, but it seems like the seams on it are different. So pitchers who are used to throwing pitches one way and getting a certain grip on, on balls and dig it into the seam in, in a certain way on their breaking stuff now they have to make that adjustment they have to it's like you know relearning how to ride the bike you know like now you have to learn how to pitch all over again so if he's able to overcome that and if he's able to replicate even close to what he did in with his double a numbers i think he is a top 100 guy you know and i think he is a guy that the blue jays are going to feel really highly about there is just a bit of question there as to whether he's going to be able to do that and like look if we're sitting here this time next year and woods richardson's taken steps forward and he's continued to demonstrate the you know the spin rate and the velo and if he fulfills how well he projects we could be looking at two top 100 guys that just aren't that right now yeah exactly and i would have viewed things similarly to you
1: in the sense that i would have expected the blue jays to get a top 100 guy back and you hear them linked to Davey Garcia of the Yankees, uh, who was ranked, I think, 69th among all prospects in baseball, by Baseball America. And that was a player that they had interest in. And so, of course, the Blue Jays were going to try to get the best offer they could. And Ross Atkins said it came down to about four teams. The Mets stepped up with an offer that they liked.
2: They went to the other teams, got the sense that there wasn't going to be a lot of movement. And they went with the Mets' offer they obviously took the best offer they could get so it's interesting to try to like litigate this thing and like see how this like played out in the sense that you look at the market and it was okay well Marcus Stroman might be the only like frontline pitcher that moves right Trevor Bauer could move you know Noah Syndergaard could like we'll see what happens but there is a scenario where Marcus Stroman is the best pitcher who moves so you would think that'd be a good position to be in for the Toronto Blue Jays but they also had this situation where Marcus Stroman was out here every day saying they don't want to extend me <laughs> like they don't want to keep me around they don't want me they want to trade me and you know even though we you know saw reports floated that all oh, the Blue Jays might keep him like they might extend him that was never going to happen so i feel like the Blue Jays were also negotiating from poor leverage in the sense that every team in baseball knew hey you need to get rid of this guy within the next 72 hours yeah. Marcus Stroman
1: hurt their leverage. No question. Right. And he wasn't in the business of trying to help their leverage. because, As he shouldn't be. He knew right? he was gone. Yeah. yeah. So he wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, I need to really try to preserve Ross Atkins's leverage. Yeah, But yeah, it's clear that that would have compromised the Blue Jays to some extent. Now, Stroman obviously is such an appealing pitcher that they still had a lot of leverage. There's no excuse. They needed to get a good return here. And I can't sit here and say right now whether I know. If yeah. this is going to be a good return, I agree on the first glance, it seems a little light. You know, that could
2: change so much in six months. Exactly. And yeah. this time
1: last year, I thought the return for Brandon Drury and Billy McKinney, you know, in exchange for Jay Happ, I thought that was pretty good. For two months of Jay Happ, pure mm- rental. When in reality, it wasn't. Yeah. So I think that, you know, now it's time for the Blue Jays development people to get their hands on Wood Richardson and see what they can do with K and how soon he can reach this major league level. But, Yeah, there are a lot of moving pieces when it comes to the extension, when it comes to the trade talks, all these different teams involved. But here we are a few days before the
2: deadline and Strowman's a mat. The Blue Jays did address a need to add some pitching to their system. You know, I don't think they were selling out for pitching at this deadline or with this move. But I think that if the Blue Jays had two comparable returns in terms of future value and one of them was pitching heavy like this one and rather than the other one that they would err on the side of the pitching one. Like that would be the tiebreaker. It's like sometimes you hear them say like, oh, well, when we have two guys in the draft that we feel very similar about going forward, we'll go with the son of the big leaguer, right? Like that'll be our tiebreaker. So I think in this scenario that, you know, the pitching was... The tiebreaker and you could like you could never have enough of it because of the volatility because the attrition rate is so high I mean you know we can go down the Blue Jays like organization from Pearson, Pardino, Kay, Klopfenstein, Logue, Murphy like on and on and on and how many of those guys are actually going to be like have long productive MLB careers it's going to be fewer than 30 percent You know, like it's not going to be the majority of them. So you need to spread your risk across as many pitchers as you can. So, you know, in that sense, the Blue Jays did accomplish something they were hoping to here. I just think that the next 6 to 12 months, maybe even 18, uh, in the case of Woods Richardson, the next, I don't know, 36 months, (laughs) 48 months, are going to tell us a lot more about what this return really is and, you know, whether or not the Blue Jays did well on this deal. Yeah, that's fair. I don't think that... We can sit here and say we definitively know.
1: We know that they added pitching. We know that there's a high, high attrition rate for pitching. And honestly, if we look back at the Blue Jays' top 30 prospects lists or top 20 pitchers in five years' time, we're going to be like, "Wow, that guy was on the list. We we thought he was going to be good." Collectively, and that's the same case now. If you look back at you know the Kyle Drayback, Drew Hutchison years where oh my god the blue jays are going to have these guys and they're going to be they're going to really hold down this rotation dustin mcgowan yeah dustin mcgowan like what upside okay like the upside's there but it's really hard to convert that and so the jays want to have this volume of pitchers and hope that if they have 15 or 20 really you know intriguing arms that maybe five of those become Legitimate
2: big league options who can make an impact. Particularly because in 2022 or whenever this club is hoping to contend for an AL East title again, they're not just going to like install five starters and be like, oh, we're good. You know, like you're going to need eight, nine, 10, maybe even 12, you know, and by that point, maybe the opener is more prevalent and maybe you're doing things differently and you're constructing your pitching staff differently than you are today maybe you know different things are valued in terms of like right now you see a lot of guys doing like the fat the four seamers up in the zone breaking stuff down that could change to east west again right like so this is where the development side of it comes in you get guys with these tools with these instruments so they can use the things that you're looking for and now you have to you know build them up and help them fulfill their potential yeah absolutely
1: and we're going to see a lot more trades i think beyond the stroman one so this return is going to be part of a broader puzzle that Ross Atkins and the rest of the front office are trying to put together here, but we saw it already with Eric Sogard being traded for a couple of players to be named. I think we'll see it more in the next couple of days where they're going to be adding more to this system and we'll see how much of it's pitching. We'll see
2: how much of it's position players, but they have the chance to continue adding here. Do you think Ken Giles' value has been hurt significantly by his unavailability on Sunday?
1: Yeah, and I would extend it beyond Sunday just to the entire... Month of July, where he goes out there three days in a row in early July, second, third, fourth. And then after that, he misses nearly two weeks. I think that's a big yellow flag for teams. And the way he's looked since has been kind of
2: off and on. And the fact that he was not available on Sunday is not a good sign for his trade value. It's interesting because I see him in Detroit like a week and a half ago and he's Ken Giles, right? Like he's 99 and the wipeout slider and he looks unhittable. And then he has these times where he's, you know, unavailable and Charlie Montoya's coming out and saying, I wasn't 100%. Like if the Blue Jays do get to like the medical stage of a trade with somebody like those medicals are going to be so poured over (laughs) but as an acquiring team like it's an interesting push pull and that like okay am I buying damaged goods here there's got to be some buyers beware but also it's the trade deadline if you have realistic hopes of contending you got to build out your bullpen like you got to get Somebody And Ken Giles, at his best, can be that guy who it's, you know, game three of the ALDS and you really need a win and your starter crapped out and you need somebody to come in and, like, get you a strikeout, like, get you outs. Like, he can be that guy. So there's this kind of an interesting give and take there. Yeah. And I think his value would still far
1: exceed that of a Daniel Hudson, Joe Biagini, someone else whose name has come up, being linked to the Braves. But Giles just has so much more strikeout ability. And like yeah. you're saying, that's what you need when you're in those playoff games. So more risk, more reward, more cost, I think, even still. But he might be a tough one to peg as far as value. And that's what the Jays ran into last offseason with Stroman. They just couldn't peg his value. Whereas this summer, it was easier. They knew he's pitching well. Here's his control. We want this. And then maybe the return's a little bit light, but more or less, all right, they got some pitching back, some upside, some quote-unquote certainty. It kind of fits what you would expect for a trade. I don't know that it's so easy to peg exactly where Ken Giles would sit on the trade market. Whereas with someone like Daniel Hudson, it's easy. They're going to move Daniel Hudson because everyone out there knows, all right, here's a pretty good reliever. We'll give you a somewhat interesting prospect for him.
2: That's it. That's the exchange. Yeah. Hudson, Jeannie Giles, Freddie Galvis would be the other name to, yep. to keep an eye on. That's the type of guy who, like on deadline day, a team that's been kind of wishy washy will will call up and say, "All right, no, we want uh, you know a utility guy. Like we want this. Here's Corey Copping. Right. Here's Jacob Wages back. There you go." And those small deals, I mean,
1: they do add up, and we've seen that more so with Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro before they got to Toronto yeah. when they acquired Carlos Santana for Casey Blake when they acquired Corey Kluber for Jake Westbrook, if they could do a deal like that here, that would be huge because then it doesn't have to be only the big trade ships that are bringing back your return. But that's a tough thing to replicate.
2: Yeah. Like it's good business, right? Like the Eric Sogard thing, right? Like minor league free agent, like you bring him in and he's great for you. You know, like he carries your team at certain points. He's great in the clubhouse. He puts up a big OPS. He plays like, forward positions like you know he's all over the place and and then you turn him into two players to be named so the blue jays will have pools of players that they can select from and you end up getting young players out of it like that's good business but are those little like nailing those little incremental moves like does it all add up or at some point do you need like a big win a big homer do you need to make a big kluber-esque like high upside
1: play well, I think you do need some of those, definitely. Yeah. And you always want to be seeking upside. I think that maybe the the way to thread that needle is the team that you're dealing with thinks that they're making just a little Jacob Waggis pack deal. <laughs> and then it turns out three years yeah. later, that guy's Corey Kluber. Now, yeah. that's really tough to do. Those are the kind of deals that get GM's jobs or get them extensions. Like it's by no means something that you can just easily replicate. But the Astros did it a couple of years ago with the Dodgers trading Josh Fields to Los Angeles. For Jordan Alvarez, who now has 11, 12 home runs already as a rookie. So, I mean, it's not easy, but you see it happen occasionally. And I know no one talks about the times, the dozens and dozens of times that, okay, this actually just was a nothing prospect for a nothing reliever. You you remember the times that it was Casey Blake for
2: Carlos Santana, so it's not easy, but man, that would be huge if they could do it. And and the Blue Jays are running out of these opportunities, right? Marcus Stroman gone. You know, maybe Aaron Sanchez will figure it all out, and they can get something for him. Ken Giles, we just went over. Like, we'll see. Beyond that, so you're gonna have a top five pick next June. Gotta nail that. Like when people said, like, oh, the Blue Jays have to nail this Marcus Stroman trade. Like to an extent, I think they have to nail the draft pick. Sure. next June. That's the because that's where you can really get like a five to seven war type of player like that's like Alex Bregman territory right like you can add a really impactful player or you can like use all that pool money to add somebody with signability concerns later on right and you can get creative I think the Blue Jays have to nail that because like look if they're picking top five again in 2021 I mean this front office has got bigger problems Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) so like I think they're probably thinking that's going to be their last chance for you know to select in that Realm, That's a big play. That's a big move. 100%. Yeah,
1: I think that's huge. And it probably would be the last time they would expect to pick in that that range. So in some senses, in some like cruel senses, when they lose a heartbreaking game on Sunday in the final innings in comeback fashion, it's kind of a nice tank move. You know, (laughs) Ken Giles not available. And oh, I guess we lost another game. Not that... Any of the players or coaches want that I mean, Of course they not They are trying to win every game And that's their job So I'm not trying to suggest That the Blue Jays on the field Would ever do anything but try to win But I don't think the front office Is shedding tears over If the team goes
2: 10 and 20 in August I really don't Jim Callis is a senior writer for MLB.com He is going to join us after this To tell us who the Blue Jays have acquired In trading Marcus Stroman to the New York Mets More after this Jim Callis joins us, senior writer for MLB.com at Jim Callis MLB on Twitter. Thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, we need someone to tell us just who these new Toronto Blue Jays <laughs> are. Maybe we can start with Anthony K. I I assume you were on him coming out in Connecticut, and then he has the Tommy John surgery. How did that impact his outlook as a prospect?
0: Well, it was interesting because I don't think anybody knew he needed Tommy John surgery when he got drafted. So it was a little bit of a surprise. He obviously missed a year coming back from that, but he's he's come back fine. He's, you know, first-round pick in 2016. He's already in AAA. I mean, that didn't even really slow him down that much. Polished lefty, he's got three pitches. I don't think you call it even plus pitches, but on any given day, the fastball or the curveball or the changeup could be his best pitch. They're all pretty solid. He commands them well. You know, he's a higher floor guy i think than a ceiling guy if you're trying to line him up and and Simeon woods richardson the other guy in the deal is a much higher ceiling guy
1: with k sticking with him where would you project him to be in maybe a year or two years time once he is in the major leagues and kind of starts establishing himself what do you think the blue jays are getting here in anthony k
0: yeah, uh, you know, I think on the high side, you know, maybe he winds up being a number three starter. Although, you know, put these labels on starters, is always crazy because it really depends on what your rotation looks like. He might be your number one starter if you don't have a lot of pitching. But, I mean, I think in a typical rotation, the upside would be that he'd be number three. More realistically, probably a number four. He's, a, he's kind of that classic lefty. I wouldn't call him crafty because it's not like he's throwing 86 miles an hour and, and doing it with mirrors. But, you know, it, it, there's no plus pitch. It's more just the mix of three solid pitches and knowing how to use them. I, I think he fits somewhere in the middle of a rotation.
2: It's getting harder and harder to find a pitcher in today's game who hasn't had Tommy John surgery for a guy like him who had one that it sounds like came a little bit out of the blue and was a little bit of a surprise for a lot of people. Does that give you concerns for durability going forward, or is it almost a he got out of the way type of thing?
0: Yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, some guys wind up having two of them, but... Um, Yeah, I guess in some ways you almost look like, hey, he got it out of the way, because it seems like almost every pitcher gets hurt at some point. So at least it's behind him, you know, and like I said, it didn't really slow him down too much. He obviously missed a year, but he's moved very rapidly since he came back. So I don't think it really leads to any concerns going forward.
1: With K and with any pitcher, you're always hesitant to kind of put a cap on their ceiling, as you were saying. But if you were to compare him to anyone in the major leagues, I mean, obviously, we're not talking about a Clayton Kershaw here. But is he a Wade Miley, as as you've talked about and researched, um, watched K pitch? Does anyone come to mind as a potential comp for those of us who are more used to watching the major league side of things?
0: Yeah, I haven't heard a great comp on him. Um, you know, Wade Miley's interesting because are we talking about, like, good Wade Miley, bad Wade Miley? Right. He's often the same guy in the same season. You know, I look at him as a guy who I don't think he's necessarily ever going to be the ace of your staff or, you know, be that guy who goes to, you know, the all-star game every year. But I look at him as a guy who can, you know, give you a solid six innings every time out and, and be fairly durable. He throws a lot of strikes. So he's not going to be one of these guys – who runs up high pitch counts and, you know, after four and a third innings, he's at a hundred pitches and you're, you're stuck with him. I just think he's that a good solid guy in the middle of your rotation who he'll eat some innings and, you know, it, it's not just, you know, Hey, I'm putting up 180, 200 innings. There's some quality there too. I, you know, he's just not going to be that frontline guy. I, I don't think.
2: So if Anthony Kaye is the high floor part of this package, then Simeon Woods Richardson is the high ceiling part of the uh, dynamic here and what the Blue Jays got back from Marcus Stroman. What's behind some of the the helium that he's experienced this season?
0: Yeah, you know, he was a second-round pick out of Texas high school last year, just kind of like Adam Kloffenstein, you know, who the, the, the Jays drafted themselves. He signed for $1.85 million. He was an over guy. You know, like a lot of the high school right-handers tend to get pushed down the draft and then get overpaid. Yeah, you know, he's six foot three, he's really athletic, he's already touching ninety seven. I think once he fills out, he'll probably be a consistent, you know, 93, 95, 96 type of guy. He's got, you know, a really promising curveball that looks like it'll be a plus pitch when it's a finished product. He hasn't used to change up much yet, but it's it's pretty solid. He was very young for his draft class. A lot of teams will put emphasis on that. He didn't turn eighteen until late September of his draft year. So even though he was drafted two years out of Anthony Kay because he was young and K was college. He was high school. I think there's almost five and a half, six years of difference in terms of their age. Um, You know, he's already throwing strikes. So it's not like you have this guy who's got this live arm and you're, you're, you know, he's a long-term project. I think his strike at the walk ratio is something like five and a half to one. So he, he not only does he have the projectable stuff, there's some polish there too. So he, you know, he's a guy who, if it all came together, you know, maybe he he pitches toward the front of your rotation that that number two slot. You know if it all comes together. You know he's probably you know three years away from really being a finished product, but off to a good start in low A ball right now.
1: We were talking recently on a conference call with Ross Atkins, and and of course the general manager after acquiring a prospect is probably more inclined to talk him up <laughs> as opposed to listing his flaws. Of course, but Atkins said that they project. Woods Richardson internally as one of the most exciting young pitching prospects in baseball. Does that line up at all with the way he might be viewed in other pockets of the industry? Or do you think the blue Jays were
0: kind of the high team on him? I think that's fair. I mean, so much of how these guys get perceived publicly is, you know, is a guy on a top 100 prospects list. And I don't think Simeon is on our, I mean, I know he's on our list. I don't think he's on baseball America's list or Fangraphs list. But again, I mean, you're talking about a young pitcher in his first full season You know, pedigree does play kind of a part, and even though he wasn't your typical second-round pick, he was a second-round pick. If Simeon Woods-Richardson had been a first-round pick and he was having the year he's having in low-A ball, he'd probably be on some top 100 prospects list, if that makes any sense. Um, So I think it's fair. I mean, I think if you you, you could put him in that discussion, I wouldn't necessarily say, oh, he's at the very top of that list. But, yeah, I mean, you're talking about a guy who has all the ingredients to be a frontline starting pitcher one day. It's just, you know, with pitchers, there's risk involved. He's in low A. That's, what, four levels removed from Toronto right now, and he's 18 years old. So, I mean, he's not a finished product, and a lot of things can happen to guys. You don't know. We mentioned Kay got hurt coming out of college, and, and that's a concern with any pitcher. So, yeah, I think it's fair to say he's in the discussion, maybe not at the forefront of that discussion, but I, I think it's fair to say he's in that discussion.
2: So he's got those ingredients that you're looking for, and with Richardson's going to come down to the development and how the Blue Jays let him get the most out of those ingredients. Just across the industry right now, where do the Blue Jays kind of rank as as an organization when it comes to developing pitching?
0: Um, I don't think they really stand out good or bad. I guess that makes the middle of the pack. Um, you know, they haven't had a ton. You know, it's not like they have this really deep big league pitching staff full of homegrown guys. But, you know, I mean, I think you're going to see Nate Pearson up in the big leagues pretty soon. Um, I think you've seen a little bit of T.J. Zoik. I don't know if you really count Anthony will count as a Blue Jays developed pitcher because he could be up there pretty quick, too. But, um, you know, I don't think they stand out either positively or, or negatively. You know, I think the interesting thing is, you know, I told, I, I said he was part of that same draft class as Klofestein. They both came out of, of Texas high schools, and the Jays elected to put Adam – in short season ball, which which some organizations will do, and they'll bring the high school guys along very slowly, whereas the Nets put Simeon in low class A. I mean, they obviously aren't going to demote Simeon, but I would think they may you know, Adam Klofstein probably goes to low class A next year, and Simeon Woods-Richardson's already been there.
1: On a bit of a different note, Jim, uh, the Blue Jays today are promoting Bo to their major league roster obviously one of the top prospects in baseball, can do a lot of things on the field. What are you expecting to see from Bichette once he's at the highest level? What do you think his biggest strengths are? What do you think his biggest challenges will be?
0: Yeah, I guess Bo was right when he said he was ready. He didn't have a whole lot left to prove. He just needed an opening on the roster. But no, it's, I think you guys are really going to enjoy watching him play. Um, I think the two things that stand out to me the most about Bo are his hitting ability and just his presence. Um, I mean, this is a guy who's hit for power and average pretty much since he entered pro ball. And I'll admit, he's got really, really quick bat, and there's a lot going on with his swing. And when I first saw him as an amateur at the Under Armour game, which is an annual showcase here in Chicago, I was like, wow, that's a complicated swing. He's going to have to tone that down a little bit. And he hasn't had to, I think, because the bat's so so fast and he's good hand-eye coordination. And he really puts the bat on the ball. It's almost like it's, it's a timing mechanism. So I think he's going to hit the ground running. I mean, as you guys have seen with Vlad, who's one of the best prospects I've ever seen, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be like a superstar right off the bat. But I, I don't think... Bo is going to be overmatched. Um, I don't think it's going to be a case where he's going to go, you know, five for 52 and look like he doesn't know what he's doing and have to go back to AAA. I mean, he's he, he's going to look like he belongs. And the second thing is, like I was saying about his presence, and I don't mean this in an arrogant way, but he's going to feel like he belongs. And this is obviously a guy who grew up around the game. But we just have an awful lot of these guys, you know, with Vlad, with Biggio, I mean, with, with Guriel. You know, his dad, I remember covering his dad in Cuba way back when. You know, when he gets to the big leagues, it's not going to be anything Bo hasn't seen before, and he's got that, you know, when they talk about, you know, borders on cocky or confident, he's got that inner confidence. I don't think Bo's going to get up there, and if he goes 0 for 12 in his first three games, he's going to start doubting himself. I mean, Bo Bichette knows he can hit, knows he can play. And then I guess if I threw in a third thing, one thing that's really impressed me about him is, like, a lot of these guys who are offensive-minded, when they get drafted, it's like, well, you know, I'm not really sure he can stay at shortstop. He's probably going to have to be a third baseman, probably be a second baseman. And and really, with today's showcase mentality, where it's all about taking BP and pitching to the radar guns, a lot of guys focus on their offense a lot, and not necessarily the rest of their game. And, you know, Bo's bat was going to get him to the big leagues regardless, but he's worked very hard to make himself into, I'd say, an average big league shortstop. I mean, he's not Freddy Galvis. Um, you, you may eventually you know, want a, a plus defender at shortstop, but he's gone from a guy where I think people were kind of skeptical that he could really play big league shortstop, and he's worked hard at it, and I think he can play an average shortstop. So I, I think you're really going to enjoy watching him. He's probably um, – well, not probably. He, he's more outgoing than Vlad. I think he's going to be a little bit more comfortable with the media and the hype necessarily than, than Vlad was. I mean, not that Vlad's shy, but – Flat's not, you know, you know, Mr. Media. I think Bo's going to embrace it all. I think you guys are really going to enjoy watching him play.
2: Last one for you, Jim. You mentioned Nate Pearson earlier. He shot up the list when you guys at MLB.com did your re-rank recently. What are you hearing about how he's kind of come back from that lost season last year and, and what his outlook could be?
0: Yeah, you know, he, he's interesting because you know, he missed almost all of last year because he got hit by a, by a ball. It wasn't an arm injury or anything. And then I saw him in the Fall League, and he looked good in the Fall League, but it was like a kind of a weird stint he had in the Fall League. He hit a game where he had no command. He gave up like eight runs in the first inning. I didn't see that game, but he just got absolutely obliterated. And then you know he famously hit 104 miles an hour during the Fall Stars game, and I think Pete Alonso homered off him off like 103-mile-an-hour fastball. So I didn't always see him dominate, but I was talking to a scout recently who said that the scout personally and his organization as a whole – felt like Nate Pearson was the best pitching prospect in all of baseball. That's how high they were on him. And I mean, you, you see the numbers. The stuff's spectacular. I and mean, He throws about as hard as any starter. The breaking ball's really improved. I mean, the, the stuff and the way he's commanding it this year, which was kind of a question coming out of junior college, and we really didn't get to see much of him last year. He's been pretty spectacular. The stuff... And the, the way he's able to command it, the balance of, of polish with all that, it kind of reminds me of when Noah Syndergaard was coming up through the minors. Like, a lot of times you see a guy who's got unbelievable stuff and he can't really harness it, or the guys who can harness it and the stuff's like, okay. And he's got both. So, I mean, I think he's his arrow is going to keep pointing up and it'll be interesting. I mean, I know Toronto's not really contending right now, but if he keeps developing at this rate, I don't see how you keep him out of the big league rotation next year. You know, maybe you can come up with some reasons to delay his service time and all that but i mean at this rate i mean by mid-season next year he's got to be in toronto's rotation jim
2: callis is a senior writer for mlb.com get him on twitter at jim callis mlb thanks so much
0: jim oh yeah great talking to you guys
2: Tired of subscribing to multiple streaming services to get your sports fix? Introducing Sportsnet Now. Live stream the entire MLB postseason and entire World Series, over 500 NHL games, Raptors and NBA, and much more, all in one subscription. You can stream on the go or at home on your big screen from the most popular devices, including smartphones and tablets, Apple TV, Xbox, PlayStation, and Chromecast. Sign up for as long as you want and cancel whenever you'd like. Get the best bang for your buck with the sports streaming subscription that gets you the most content. Visit snnow.ca for more details. This is At The Letters brought to you by the all-new 2019 Ford Ranger with the available FX4 Off-Road Package, which comes with the Terrain Management System and Trail Control, which provide essential off-road technology. Didn't cover this earlier when I was kind of getting the recap of just what the hell went on at the ballpark on Sunday. A coach lost his job. (laughs) (laughs) Shelly Duncan isn't on the coaching staff anymore. He is
1: not on the coaching staff. What's What's going going on there? saying he's going to be in the front office now. Doesn't seem like a promotion, though. I mean, you do see hybrid roles where people have lots of skill sets that can apply both on the field or in the front office. But you don't normally see those changes made in July. It
2: is odd, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. The timing is odd. I know for a few of us, we certainly sensed like a you know something was brewing with Shelley Duncan, like over the last uh, you know a few weeks or months. Like I don't know exactly once, but it's just one of those things where you're around the team every day that you get that sense. Um, and I'm sure there's more of a story to be told here. And like, yeah, if I was Ross Atkins, I would certainly be saying, yeah, this you know we we just needed him in the front office, but it's a very unusual move typically you would let him finish out the year as a coach. And then after in the off season, it would be a lot easier to do it. Then it would attract a lot less attention. So I think that there had to be some reason why I thought he needs to get off the coaching staff now. Yeah. And I'm speculating here,
1: but I think if we were to say if Shelly Duncan really wanted to be a coach and if the other coaches and manager really wanted him to be a coach, then he would still be a coach. Yeah. So I'm presuming that somewhere in there, there's just not alignment anymore. And I don't know what the full story is. But yeah, as this was all unfolding on Sunday, I am kind of hearing also that this is happening as far as a change on the coaching staff. And my understanding is this is not related to the Marcus Stroman frustration that he expressed um, to members of the Blue Jays front office and coaching staff. And Stroman, when asked about it on a conference call, said that he didn't even see Shelly Duncan. So just as far as anyone wondering if those two things are linked, it doesn't appear that they're linked. And as you said, it seemed like things might have been brewing before that. But still, it just adds to the bizarre, bizarre nature of this day where, you know, as if they didn't have enough going on already, they're having changes to their coaching staff.
2: And meanwhile, Bobichet's being pulled (laughs) off the field in Buffalo, (laughs) for a call up that uh, has been long anticipated and is now like completely shrouded by all this other stuff like this is a top 10 MLB prospect the Blue Jays are recalling he's 21 and he is a guy who like has the potential I was you know saying earlier in the podcast like when you're drafting early in the draft you can get guys who can be those like three to five to seven war players like Boba a guy who has that potential and that kind of upside he was the Blue Jays top prospect after Vladimir Guerrero Jr. who Jim Callis you know said is one of the best he's ever seen was promoted This would be a really big story if it hadn't happened on the day that Marcus Stroman was traded and blew up in the clubhouse and Shelley Duncan was removed from the coaching staff and nobody was allowed into the clubhouse after the game. Eric Sogard traded like, there's <laughs> so trade. much going on. And Eric Sogard is in the mixed zone and neutral territory yeah. between the two clubhouses. <laughs> oh yeah.
1: He's wearing blue Jays shorts <laughs> and like talking about the rays as if he's on the team. It's like, what's happening here? Yeah. He's in total limbo. But yeah. And I know you wrote about this at sportsnet.ca, but really Beshek gets overlooked or got overlooked, certainly in this instance. And to some extent has been overshadowed by guys like Vlad on his way up, but it's crazy. Like we're in the final <laughs> segment of our podcast talking about, Bo getting promoted in what other world would this happen? Like this is normally, this is like the news of the day. This is the most headline making crazy thing, but there was just that much happening with the Jays.
2: Yeah. If the Blue Jays had done this like last Thursday, we would have been like, Oh, like let's get Amal on the phone. Like we might need to do an emergency podcast. Bo Bichette's coming up. Like it would be a really big story. Like this is a, you know, when you think about what could be the core of position players for the next good Toronto Blue Jays team, He's part of it. Like the Blue Jays need to hit on Bo Bichette. Like he they need him to help lengthen out that lineup along with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Lourdes Goriel, Kevin Biggio, maybe Jordan Groshans at some point. Like he's a guy that, you know, the Blue Jays have invested a lot of time and resources into. The Blue Jays are really high on, and people in the game are really high on. Uh and he is somebody that the Blue Jays need to be good.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And the expectation is that he will be good. Yeah. But as we've seen with Vlad Jr. and Danny Jansen and Cavin Vigio, it's not a straight line. So I think that it's safe to say that Bichette will have some struggles as he comes up. But it's going to be fun to watch him. And I think that,
2: oh, he's know, going to be a fan favorite right away. I, I agree. Like, I think people are like people who haven't watched him play a lot. And like, we're fortunate enough that we do get to see him, you know, if we're in Buffalo or New Hampshire or whatever. Like I saw him play in Lansing. Like he's a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, like he is really like a you think about that. I don't want to say cockiness, but like that confidence that Marcus Stroman had, you know, like that a little bit of that swagger, right? Like that Josh Donaldson had, like he's trying to kick your ass. Like Bo Bichette's trying to beat you, you know, like he's uh, he's aggressive and he's, you know, very sure of himself. And I think he's going to fit into the big leagues right away. I don't think you're going to see him get up here and like, you know, be a little unsure in the moment. Like I think his first plate appearance, you're going to see him take some really big cuts <laughs> and it's fun, man. It's yeah. fun
1: it's really fun. And another aspect that he brings is speed, which we just haven't seen a ton of. I mean, the blue Jays best offensive teams in recent years were those home run teams where you have Encarnacion and Donaldson and Batista. And that was the essence of the blue Jays. And even now you got Vlad jr. He's their best prospect. And we see him in the home run derby. It's amazing, but it's power. It's not speed with Vlad jr. And with Boba Shett, he has 15 steals in 55 games at triple a. So you project that over a full season in the major leagues It's a 40-steal, 45-steal guy. Now, it's not to say that he's going to keep that up. He's 21 years old. He might slow down. But for now, he's fast. He's a shortstop. He can hit. That's a good combination.
2: That's an element he added to his game rather recently. The Blue Jays challenged him on offseason and said, hey, we want you to be faster. We want you to steal bases. And he said, okay. And he went and got faster. Did the same thing defensively coming out of the draft it was this guy's a second baseman this guy's a third baseman he's not going to stick it short now people will tell you you know he could he might be able to stick it short you know like he's really made some improvements there uh like when you're talking about a guy who's playing a premium defensive position up the middle a guy who could be a leadoff hitter for this team someday could be a two-hole hitter for this team someday a guy who could be a 5-1 player like that this is a really important piece for the Blue Jays Could be a leadoff hitter For this team next week <laughs> <laughs> I think they got Cavan Biggio in there Which I no. don't mind Because he yep. got the On-base percentage A little bit It'll be interesting To see how You know Charlie Montoyo's Lineups kind of evolve And how the pitching Rotation kind of evolves Like over these Final two months Like who's even In this rotation Right now You know Like TJ Zoik's time Has to be coming soon Particularly with Marcus Stroman Out of the rotation Yeah A lot of turnover That's Ben Nixon Smith, Martin's Welling, it's at Letters, our producer's Amal Delich. Thanks as always to him. Anthony Memmi's here as well. Thank you so much for your fine work. Talk to you next time a Blue Jays icon gets traded on At The Letters.